We're on our way, and, and God calls us forward to follow Christ. And just as we talked about last week with road rule number one, break the circuit. Because the race that Scripture calls us to run is not what you would call a circuit, a circular track. Think NASCAR over and over and over again. It's a path of progress and maturity and sanctification. But that's what we talked about last week. And actually, before I get going too far, we gave away a Wawa gift card because people are taking road trips in the summer. And uh, it was a, basically a tie between Wayne and Bart Hughes. Wayne was going to Maine. Bart's going to Alabama. Wayne had him by a little bit, but I looked it up. He had him by 30 miles. And those are two big drives. So I want to give it this week to Bart. Y'all leave on Wednesday, right? <laughs> He's excited because he thinks you're going to spend it on subs. But yeah, feel free to fill your tank, fill your stomachs, whatever. I'm glad I came over there because now I got my water. But why are we in this series about journeys now? Because so many of us are breaking off for the summer to go on summer vacation. And I, I shared last week, my dad was a, a blue-collar carpenter, so vacation for us was off, and let's hop in the old Dodge Caravan and drive 16, 20 hours to Illinois to visit my grandparents or Naples, Florida to visit my other set of grandparents. It was a, a major road trip was vacation to go visit relatives. But whether you're flying, driving, uh, taking a, a, a ship and a cruise to get to your vacation spot this year. We're in this series because I wanted you to take some truths and perspectives with you. Kind of like in Deuteronomy where Moses is telling the Israelites, look, remember these commands. Talk about them when you're on the road. May we be able to reflect on these truths when we're on the road and these road rules and principles for the pathway that God has us on. Because as we talked about last week, Eugene Peterson, he wrote this book long ago that's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it speaks to this reality that life, our spiritual life, our following Christ, it's a journey. And it's a long one. In this book, he said, everything in the gospel is livable, and my task was to get it lived. And he said, look, this was going to take some time, so I settled in for the long haul. Our walk following Christ is often a long one. It's a journey, it's a path, and there might not be a change in geography, but there's a spiritual journey we're called to go on with our heart. Like Eugene Peterson said, we're called to take the Bible, take the gospel, take Christ's life and his teachings and get it lived. So God provides us with the path. God's word provides us with principles for the pathway. As we hit on last week, it's in Jeremiah 6, 16 where the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah and says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Then it says, but you said, we will not walk in it. Right? God provides the path. He provides the pathway. He even gives us, as we'll talk tonight, guardrails for the path. And they said, we're good, thanks. So, of course, as you go on in Jeremiah, it's in Jeremiah 18, 15, where Jeremiah, again, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, says, my people are not so reliable. He's being kind there. For they have deserted me. They've stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. Now, he's talking about a whole different kind of highway from what we know about. But in my week to week, as I'm going about my job and my to-do list, I'm driving up and down the highway almost daily. And as I tackle that to-do list, going off the highway is not on it. Right? That's not in my plans. It's not in the cars for me to just drive off the highway. And uh, I go through the tunnel often, go over the bridge often. Maybe it's because I watch so many disaster movies. Every now and again when I'm zoning out, I'm like, man, it would really stink to go over the edge. What would I do if I went over the edge? But 
I don't slam on the brakes or slow down because of that. I don't get so scared that I slam on the brakes, right? God bless the people that slam on their brakes for the tunnel because so many people hate them. God better love them extra good and bless them. Uh, but I don't slam on my brakes when I'm on the bridge because there's, there's a railing. There's what you would call a guardrail that keeps me from going off the bridge. So I can keep going at the same high speed on the highway without worrying. And I learned this lesson about guardrails, and I learned it early on. I didn't need my driver's license to learn this lesson about the value of guardrails. I didn't need to run into a guardrail to learn this lesson about the value of guardrails. All I needed was a Nintendo system and the game Mario Kart. Because if you've ever played the game Mario Kart, the last, the last level, the last racetrack is called Rainbow Road. And what's remarkable about Rainbow Road, as you can see, it's a literal Rainbow Road out in outer space. And it's a long and winding road of really stress. Because on Rainbow Road, there's no guardrail. There's no railing. You can drive right off the side. Right? So as a kid, it was a little stressful. Right? Because inevitably, as you're on this track, you're trying to beat all your friends, every one of you at some point will fall off. You'll drive off the side, and then you got to wait like five seconds, and it seems like an eternity for the little cloud character to pick you back up and put you back on the track, and you've lost your lead, all your progress, right? That's Rainbow Road. It's a ball of stress because there's no guardrails. You'd be playing it with your friends, dropping words your mom would hear from the other room and reprimand you for because it would wig you out as a kid because it's the level where there's no guardrails. It's the one level where I couldn't just floor it the entire time because if I wasn't careful, I'd go off the track because there were no guardrails. And that brings us to road rule number two. And if you're taking notes, it's the sermon title for tonight, Don't Take Rainbow Road. Because again, Rainbow Road has no guardrails. And guardrails are important. By definition, a guardrail is a system designed to prevent travelers from straying into dangerous or off-limit territory. I'll say it again. A guardrail is a system designed to prevent travelers from straying into dangerous or off-limit territory. But often guardrails, they're the invisible, unheralded part of our driving experience. You don't really think about guardrails until they're not there. Especially like when you're on a, a, a mountain and you're taking these winding roads and there's no guardrail. I, I shared last week, my brother, uh, he's a great road cyclist. He got a full ride to the top cycling school on the East Coast. It's in the hills of North Carolina. And we're driving there to drop him off. And we're basically, if you know where App State is, Appalachian State in the hills of North Carolina, drive up the mountain. Banner Elk is up there. That's where Lee's McRae is. So we're going up these S-curves, these steep S-curves. And there's no guardrail. So we're all nervous. And then my mom's like, wait, Christian, you're going to be on your bike doing these? going down these hills at like 50 miles per hour, and he's 18 feeling invincible, like, yeah, and she's, his mom feeling stressed out as, as, as anything because there were no guardrails. You know, guardrails are a gift, and we don't just need them when we drive physical roads. We need them as we go about on our spiritual journey, and I could speak more on the latter, the spiritual journey, because I'm no highway expert. Right? But I have encountered people again and again whose lives have been derailed because they refuse to follow God's direction. They encounter this simple reality that you can avoid God's commands, but you often can't avoid the consequences. And they find out what many of us will, that many of our greatest regrets in life, they could have been prevented if we had just put up guardrails. None of us plan on ruining our marriage because we have some addiction. None of us plan on losing our job 
because of a bad habit. None of us plan on having health issues that could have been prevented, but we couldn't help ourselves. None of us have bankruptcy in our five-year or 10-year plan, but we don't plan. We don't put up guardrails, and that's the problem. But God, through Scripture, through the counsel of Scripture, gives us so many. And I love Psalm 119. It's verses 32 through 35 that we're going to look at tonight. Psalm 119, verses 32 through 35. And David says this, that I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. See, God just doesn't give us the path to walk in. He gives us commands to serve as guardrails. And just as I can drive fast on roads because I know the guardrail is there, this allows us to not walk our way down the path. But like David, we can run our way as we follow Christ and go the path he's given us. But I want to look tonight at three understandings of guardrails that David and Scripture and the Bible give us. Just three aspects of guardrails that can affect the way we live our life and approach the Bible and approach accountability. And the first is this. That guardrails don't just protect, they direct. They don't just protect us, but they direct us. And there's a, a video I want to show as a, an illustration for this. And eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's look, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. So that's hilarious, and you might think, well, that's just for comedy routines, right? But this was uh, in the news just a couple weeks ago, in the Virginia pilot just a couple weeks ago. This was a 18-wheeler a, a truck driver who was in the Outer Banks, and uh, there were signs that were saying, hey, the road is about to end, but he was following his GPS, and he just kept trucking into the beach where it took $2,000 to tow him out of that mess, right? He was just following his GPS, but a guardrail would have helped we got this person, an Uber driver, who was using the Uber app and the navigation system on the Uber app and said they were just following the directions when they, with a, a backseat full of passengers, tried to go down the stairs and got stuck. And then you might even say with all those examples, still that office uh, example is pretty outlandish, but I would show you this picture. And this is from Australia where three Tokyo students were there visiting and... Uh, they followed their GPS right into an Australian bay. And this is from the Australian newspaper. It says the three Tokyo students trustingly followed their GPS system's instructions to drive directly through Morton Bay to the island, foregoing real roads. 
Yuzu Noda defended their decision to attempt the drive, saying the GPS told us we could drive there. The students were able to drive the rented Hyundai Gets about 50 yards into the bay before they realized they would be unable to drive farther. They attempted to turn around, but the incoming tide forced them to leave the vehicle behind. Sometimes, despite our best GPS and despite our street smarts or lack thereof, uh, guardrails would come in handy. Right, a guardrail could have prevented every one of these instances because you'd no longer be able to move in that direction. And again, that's a reality of guardrails, that they don't just protect us, they direct us. You think about some guardrails on curves at night where they've got reflectors on them because they're showing us, look, you don't want to keep going straight. You're going to want to make this curve because they're directing us. God's commands are like, like that. But as we think about God directing our lives, I think in my flesh, I don't know about you, when I usually turn to God for direction, it's because I'm looking for his advice. Not necessarily looking for his commands, but I'm, I'm looking for his advice. And that's just a reality we see that when I want God's direction, it's so often in life when I'm asking about, uh, should I take this job? Should I make this life transition? Should I marry this person? That's so often when we go to God for direction and we forget that God gives us his commands daily for direction, to direct our decision-making and to direct our life. But I was reading through uh, 2 Samuel 5. Right? I've been reading through uh, Samuel and Kings and, and Chronicles. It's not actually 2 Samuels, although there's two of them. But uh, I'm reading through there, and it says in 2 Samuel 5, it's talking about David. This is how I would love for God to direct my life. It says the Philistines arrived, this was their enemy, and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? It says the Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. That's the kind of direction I want. And then it goes next level. Right? It says after a while the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Rephaim. And again David asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. And when you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and voila, he won. That's the kind of direction I want in my life, right? Where you ask God and he gives you the, the steps to take, not only what to do, but how to do it. But I think it's ironic that we often go to God for his direction and advice when it comes to big decisions, but then we forget that his commands are there for us daily to help direct us in life. So often we want his directional advice, but not his directional commands. And what it boils down to is we don't necessarily want Christ as king. We kind of want him as like a tour guide or a life coach. We want his advice when it comes to big decisions, but when it comes to how I live my life and do me, I don't want those directional commands. But you see in scripture that David embraced, he embodied God's commands, and that's why he was receiving this direction. It's your resolution in life to put up guardrails based on God's word that he can use to direct your entire life. Not just one decision, but your entire life. And David didn't know what hung in the balance when he was a shepherd boy or, or the neglected son of his father when he decided to make God's command prominent in his life. He didn't know then all that God was going to do for him. But I love that in Psalm 19, which many people consider to be one of the first, probably the first three or so psalms that he wrote when he was younger, it says in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, listen to what David says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. 
The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We see in Psalm 19 that David basically explicitly expresses his trust in setting God's commands as his guardrail for his life. And in Psalm 119, the psalm we started with from verses 32 through 35, that whole Psalm 119 is the biggest chapter in the Bible. It's basically a love letter from David to God's commands. And that might seem a little odd, but it's because David realized these laws aren't just here to protect me. They're here to direct my life. They're here to direct me. And King David's resolution to follow God's law as guardrails set the course for his life. And he juxtaposed that to King Saul who came right before him and how his, his life and his reign went off the rails because he wouldn't do the same thing. And maybe it's why David's son, who eventually became King Solomon, would write in Proverbs 11, verse 3. And he starts by saying, the integrity of the upright. Integrity speaks to doing the right thing. The upright would be somebody who wants to do the right thing and live according to God's guardrails. And this is what it says. It says, the integrity of the upright directs them. See, we want God to direct us with advice, but he wants us to direct our lives with his commands as we live with integrity. Because God's commands, they serve as guardrails that don't just protect us, they direct us. The integrity of the upright directs them. That's such an important principle, but there's two more I want to hit on. And and the second is this. Not only do guardrails direct and protect us, guardrails often can seem and they can appear extreme. So how many of you have heard of Victor Hugo? A few. Congrats, right? I was an English major. He wrote, you probably heard of Les Mis. He wrote Les Mis, the play, the movie, the book came first, right? The book. How long do you think it took him to write Les Mis? 17 years, not because he has some like advanced writer's block, not because it's that long, it's not, it's like, it's not this long, it, it's a healthy length, but it took him 17 years, and it was because he was easily distracted. This was a guy who loved to go outside, that is an author, right, usually you're sitting at a table writing, and he would get distracted, he would get up and tend to his garden, he would go outside and just wander the streets and talk to people, and eventually his family and friends had to be like, look, You need to finish this work you're working on. You need to focus. You need to do something. So he set up a guardrail. Y'all aren't going to believe me. You can look it up for yourself. This is what he told his servant to do as a guardrail. Every night when he went to sleep, he said, I want you to come in my room and take all my clothes. What did that mean? That meant when he woke up, he couldn't just go outside. And he'd say, look, only after I've written a healthy amount and I've written for whatever, eight hours, I don't know what his goal was, can you come in and give me my clothes? Maybe some introverts are like, that sounds like heaven, right? But mo- <laughs> most of us are like, even like mild introverts like me, that's wild, that's crazy, that's extreme. Well, that is extreme, and that's the point of a guardrail. That's why a guardrail exists. Guardrails encroach on the safe area that you could drive, but that's the point. Because the point of a guardrail isn't to say, don't drive on this area because it's dangerous. The point is that it's the area right beyond the guardrail that's dangerous. If you put Dustin, if you get the next slide, it says it's, it's, if you put in place, or the guardrail is put in place, so you could theoretically, you could theoretically drive safe there, but we don't, so that we don't end up in a dangerous wreck. It's where you could drive, 
But the reason the guardrail is there is so that you don't end up beyond it where it's dangerous to drive. It's not like Victor Hugo thought there was something wrong with clothes. He didn't go on to like form nudist colonies. No, he had nothing wrong with clothes, but he did see that there was something wrong with living distracted and unproductive. So he got rid of his clothes as a guardrail every day. He had a servant take his clothes when he was sleeping. But see, our culture, it's not a fan of guardrails. Sure, it's, it sees the dangers, but to our culture so often, guardrails are extreme. They appear extreme. Our culture in so many ways is content with the painted line. And then we dance on it. Right? Our culture, uh, again, we, we see the dangers. We see like that's bad, but deciding what we should do to not get there, so often our culture is just content with a yellow painted line. That's, that's the safety and protection we need. And there's a reason for this, because in our lives we gravitate towards the edge. So often the question is, how can I best follow God? But there are also those questions, how far can I go without sinning, right? How far can I drive to the edge without wrecking my life or crashing? You multiply that, and it's present in our culture. And see, our culture, it baits us towards the edge. And then when we crash, it mocks us, right? It points the finger at us. Some examples, think about it. Like financially, our culture screams, buy, 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 purchase, make this purchase, buy this, buy that. You want to be hip? Get the newest phone, right? Have the newest car, have the biggest house. Like, that's the dream. But you go too far into debt, you go bankrupt, and you're a fool, right? That credit card debt, all of a sudden, you're not husband material. It's like, wait, wasn't I just doing what you were telling me to do, buying this, buying that, staying up to date? Think about sex and intimacy, Sex, sex, sex. How many sex scenes in Hollywood are between a married couple? Like 1%, 2%? But you cheat on your wife, break up your family, and you're scuzzo, right? And you are. But my point is this. Our culture, it baits us to the edge. And then as soon as we take the bait and we crash and we wreck, it mocks us and points the finger. But God is so full of grace. First, he gives us guardrails. Graciously gives us guardrails. Directions in Scripture. And then even when we wreck and even when we crash, he gives us grace again. That's how gracious God is, the complete opposite of our culture. But our culture, as good as that is, doesn't like guardrails. They're confining, restrictive. And sure, our, again, our culture sees the bad consequences. It sees the danger. We can often agree that there are lines that shouldn't be crossed. But think about it, like families torn apart by infidelity. We can all agree that's bad, right? In and out of the church, right? Bankruptcy, bad. Right, serious health issues that are preventable, bad. Dishonesty and cheating and climbing over people to get ahead. We could agree that's bad. We see those lines and we don't want to cross it, but often in our culture we don't really like guardrails. It says in Proverbs 27, 12, that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. The simple ignore guardrails that God has put in place. And again, you can ignore the commands but you can't ignore the consequences. You can try to avoid the commands, but so often you can't avoid the consequences. Some examples. For instance, in my life, I try not to drive in a car with another woman who's not my wife. Is there anything wrong with that? Is that sinful? No, right? I try not to meet one-on-one -on -one with other women when it's avoidable. Does it happen sometimes? Sure, but I'm not calling other women like, hey, let's go get coffee. When I'm trying to process something, or I heard a good joke, I'm not texting it to other women. Why? Those are just guardrails. Well, one, first and foremost, it honors Steph. Trust me, guys, your wife likes it when there's exclusive love for her, but it's also a guardrail. 
Like when, when Fred and I do have to meet with a woman in the office, we have adjacent offices. We let each other know, make sure they're there, keep the door cracked, right? We don't have like closed door meetings with other women. And our culture would laugh at this, right? They would mock this and be like, what do you have, less than zero self-control, right? Uh, do you have that little self-control that you have to do all this? No, but the point of a guardrail is that the further you stay away from the edge, the easier it is to avoid, and some people would say, well, is it a sin now to, like, go and have coffee with another woman? No, duh, but the point of the guardrail is it keeps you from the sin, right? It's not a sin in of itself. See, the, re- the further you are in on something, the more you've progressed towards the edge. When you crash, it gets pretty complicated. It can wreck your life. But when you maintain margin morally and even practically with something like your finances or your health, the easier it is to resist temptation. And then even when you do fail, It's like a little fender bender on a guardrail. It's not a a complete fatality. You may do damage, but it's not of the fatal variety. That brings me to my last slide. Justin, if you could jump us ahead to the one that says guardrails do damage. Because that's the reality. Guardrails do damage. You run into a guardrail, you're probably going to get a big dent. You're going to get a hefty scratch. Your car's probably going to end up in the shop. Or if you hit a guardrail at enough speed, but hopefully you won't have totaled it. And hopefully you'll still be alive. That's the purpose of a guardrail. Guardrails are designed to do a little bit of damage in order to keep you from experiencing a whole lot of damage. It's better to bump into a guardrail and suffer a little bit of damage than it is to drive off the road and suffer huge, maybe even fatal damage. See, God doesn't give us commands because he's some cosmic killjoy. He gives us guardrails for our life because he's a good father, right? Good parents provide guardrails for their children. And I'm no highway expert, and you might look at me and be like, how— what do you got, like one kid? Yeah, he's two and a half. I'm still new to this parenting thing, but I was a youth pastor for years before I ever pastored here. Pastored a ton of teenagers, talked to a ton of parents, and let me tell you, good parents establish guardrails, but some don't. Why? Because like accountability and correction is not just inconveniencing for the person receiving it. Sometimes it's an inconvenience, and it takes some courage to give it, to correct somebody in love and to do it the right way. So sometimes parents forego it. Sometimes the motivation is we want to be our our kid's pal and not their parent. So we let them sow their wild oats and forego any difficult conversations, confrontation, or correction. Our kids need a parent, not a pal. They're going to have dozens, hundreds of pals in their life. They only have two parents. We need to be parents. And we avoid guardrails and People do, and usually the motivation is, I want happy kids, right? I want my kids to enjoy life. But we end up raising young adults who need to recover from the wrecks of their childhood because there were no guardrails in place. Good parents say, look, in order to prevent you from doing real damage to your life and to your future, I want to put up protective barriers, rules, guardrails. Because when your conflict is out there, it can have some serious consequences. When the the fender bender is in the home, it's a lot more manageable. Conflict out there can leave you with emotional scars, expulsions, misdemeanors, whatever. But when you can keep it in the home, it's a guardrail. So good parents put boundaries far from the edge of disaster. And they might appear extreme. Sometimes, if we're honest, our kid misbehaves. We have to enforce this rule. It's a pain in the butt for us, which I think is another reason you avoid it. But if we're going to have conflict, it's better to have it be a small fender bender in the home than our kids wrecking their lives out in the world. And does that mean our kids adhere to them? (laughs) No. My parents gave me guardrails all my youth. And most of my adolescence, I spent jumping them, thinking they were a fence. They were a guardrail. And I wrecked a whole lot of things in my life for about a decade before I came to Christ and 
realized the same way we have a good father, I had good parents. These rules were guardrails. But how often when we grow older, we again project that onto God. Like, man, these, these commands are so restrictive. Like, they're confining. I'm probably missing out on joy out there. But we got to realize for our parents, for God, for our, us to our kids, boundaries, they're a blessing because you prize what you protect. Or what you prize, you'll protect. Boundaries, guardrails, rules, often when they're handed in love, they're a blessing because what you prize, you'll protect. Think about car seats. The first time we put Raj in a car seat, in India, there's no such thing. You just hold your kid. Like, we were just in the DR. Like, they'll be on mopeds. They'll have a kid over their shoulder, right? No helmet on anybody driving like Jason Bourne. The first time we put Raj in a car seat in the States, he was angry, furious. He let us know about it, right? Helmets when we're riding bikes. Who wants to wear a helmet when you're riding your bike? Like, all these things seem restrictive, but we do it out of love because we, we cherish our kids. We want to protect them. Why do we not realize that with God? But then you look at it from the other perspective. You know, as you're an adolescent and you're growing up, you've either been there or you are there. So often going into our teenage years and young adulthood, we're like, man, I cannot wait to get out of the roof of my parents to have some independence. And then when you read like biblical accountability, it's like, isn't this kind of like just asking for somebody to be my parent, right? But that's not what it is. It's about embracing a standard of behavior that you want to embrace, and putting people around you to keep you from drifting from it. It's practical whether you read the Bible and believe in Jesus or not. When you see a standard of behavior, a matter of conscience, and you're like, I want to stick to this, it's wise to invite other people to help you stay on that path and on that course and recognize the guardrails. I think we so often think of accountability as somebody to just rail against us and, and rail into us when really it's the railing that keeps us from wrecking. Nearly a year ago, about a half dozen of us, I think it was in September, after a service, Dustin, if you could hit this, the next slide, we left service Saturday night, drove to West Virginia to go raft the Upper Gullies. And uh, outside of, I think it's the Grand Canyon and the rapids there, some of the best whitewater rapids the world has to offer. But not only are they fun and exciting, they kill people. People die. Like our wives were joking about, like, what's your husband's life insurance policy, right? Like, are you set up for if your husband dies? Right? We would joke about it, but then in the back of my head, I'm going, I'm like, is it really going to be like that? <laughs> but people, people die because there's some fools, and they don't have guides in the back of their raft. They don't have somebody there that can actually give them good advice. Some people just have bad guides, and you can end up stuck between two rocks for 40 minutes, which we saw <laughs> and witnessed. But uh, we had a guide. He looked kind of like a, a hippie version of the guy from The Last of the Mohicans. You can't really see his flowing hair in that picture. But uh, his name was Zach. And the way it worked is we would come up on one of these raps. You could hear it coming, right? And then you could see it. There's still a little distance off. And he'd tell you, yeah, we don't, we'd be nervous. We'd be like, what class is this, class five? He'd be like, yeah, it's the class five. And then he'd be like, if you fall out, swim to the left. Or if you fall out, swim to the right. Each time it was like, if you fall out, do this. Then he'd be like, because if you end up under that big rock, he's like, you're not coming out. Like, Wait, like you die? Then he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> he just laughed. <laughs> this dude was hilarious. So, yeah, we'd be sweating bullets. But as you're going over the actual whitewater rapids, he's there. He's telling you what side to paddle on. He's telling you, all right, you need to paddle on this side twice, this side once. When I was actually going through the rapids with his instruction, knowing he was in the back of the raft telling us what to do, there was never a point where I, like, feared for my life. You actually look here, like, half of us are smiling. Nate's waving at us. I don't know what he's doing. But uh, 
at one point, this is seven guys in a raft for hours on end. We played a game of would you rather, right? And one of the would you rather options was would you go down these rapids at night with no guide in the dark? Nobody chose that. That's suicide, right? That's how you die. That's how people die on the gollies. We need a Zach in our life that kind of has a little foresight and can give us, really remind us of the commands and guardrails we need in our life. And Zach wasn't just in the back giving us words of correction, right? When we first started, he was like, oh, it's going to be a long trip. You guys are miserable. But by about the halfway through, it was words of encouragement. He was giving us words of assessment, like you guys did better on that one. Here's what you want to do. Words of direction, again, before every rapid saying, here's what you want to fall out, swim right. See, a good father wouldn't send his son down those rapids in the dark or without those words of encouragement, of, of correction, of direction. God doesn't do that to us. First and foremost, he gives us his word. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit, which guides us in all truth and shows us the guardrails. Even if it's not black and white in Scripture, there's matters of conscience. Again, you talk about a guardrail. I was an alcoholic when I came to Christ. So a guardrail in my life is I didn't touch alcohol for seven years. Do I think touching alcohol is a sin? No, but that was a guardrail I put in my life because I didn't want to sin, right? Alcohol is not a sin, but drunkenness is, and I was a drunk. So that was a guardrail I put in my life. And when God calls us to the journey, he gives us guardrails through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through Holy Spirit-filled people who can help us <laughs> navigate life. See, when your life or when you've got a, a good guide, you've got a Zach in the back of your boat, you don't have to worry and fear for your life. You can actually go through and kind of enjoy the journey. We've got a good guide. We've got a good father. We've got the Holy Spirit. And when your life has guardrails, you don't need to slow down worrying what happens if I wreck. If you leave enough margin morally... You might stumble, you might fall, but you can trust even that God's gracious love that gives us guardrails, even when we stumble, even when we do crash, he gives us grace again. If I could have the worship team come up, we're going to go into worship, and uh, are we doing the song Build My Life? It's a new song, we've never sung it before, but I love it, and uh, as, as we sing those words, I know so often we think of, right, the, the images in Scripture to build our house or to build the temple, right, of the Holy Spirit in us. But, man, let's just picture building some guardrails in our life. And we're going to have the hilts in the back that are available for prayer. I'm going to be up front if you need prayer as we come into this moment of worship. And maybe tonight as you were listening to this sermon, you realize, man, I'm dancing on a yellow line and I need to put up a guardrail. Or I'm dancing on a yellow line and I've been ignoring God's guardrail. Maybe it's been... Something practical, the way you've been stewarding your finances or your body, these blessings that God gives us to steward, or maybe it's something a little deeper, the interactions with that coworker, the, the way we let our eyes wander, where we know, man, I'm dancing on a yellow line. I need to recognize God's guardrails. I need to put up a guardrail. And it may seem extreme, whatever step it is, but it may save your marriage. <laughs> it may save your finances. It might save your job. It might save your faith in your life. And secondly, maybe that's not you, but maybe you just recognize the fact I need a, a Zach in my life to ride shotgun. Somebody who's holding me accountable to the beliefs I have, the faith I have, the journey I'm on, the guardrails I want to establish. I'm doing this life solo and alone, and you read the New Testament, you'll realize that's not the way we're supposed to do it. But whatever your need is or whatever the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your heart, as we stand in worship, let's simply ask for the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. Maybe he's already laid a finger on something in your life, but 
Either way, as we stand, if you could stand and as we're about to go into worship, God, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Help us to become aware of your presence. God, help us to become aware of what you want to do through your word in our hearts. God, you don't want any of us to leave here the same. Every one of us, as we walk the path of following Christ, there's another step that we can take to look more like Jesus. And God, we know that as we look more and more like him, we'll glorify him better and better in our lives. And isn't that what life is all about? Jesus, we want to build your kingdom, build your church, really make you famous. God, that your name will be spoken more and more in this region because in your name there's hope, in your name there's freedom, in your name there's joy. God, these commands you give us, they're not to keep us from, from life, but they're to give us life. Not just to direct us and protect us, but so that we can run in the path of your commands. And God, I pray that you would give us that, that childlike trust that recognizes that you're a good father and you want what's best for us. Again, as we close worship with, help us to remember and recognize your love. We praise you tonight and we sing these words.